0: Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know you had much to be thankful for. Uh, I am privileged to be able to teach again tonight. And so we've been looking at the subject of faith for the past few weeks. A lot of people are afraid of the subject of faith. They've seen it abused. They've seen people do crazy things and call it faith. And so some are a little leery of the subject and some have even abandoned the subject altogether. And a lot of people have handled the subject of faith when it's been taught incorrectly and they've taught it more about uh, selfish gain and and that faith is about, about me getting what I want from God. And we've made it about me, 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 but we understand that faith is not about me getting my money, my car, my house, but faith is about me Getting what God wants through me. Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose of faith. Not not that not that I can use it selfishly. Now, we've got to understand some things that God wants. He does want us healed. He does want us prospered. I mean, he, he does that for his covenant people, but the purpose of faith is to get what God wants for his covenant people. So a lot of what's been taught as faith has actually been covetousness. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, there's, and, and we have warnings in Scripture about being covetous. Okay? So many people have just left the subject of faith alone because in many instances, when I see that someone else had faith and they got a zillion dollars and then I did what they did and I didn't get a zillion dollars, it seems like faith doesn't work. But we need to recognize that there is a thing called faith, and it's a very important Bible subject. And when faith doesn't seem to work for people, the church, by and large, has invented a theology, and they've called that theology the sovereignty of God. <laughs> doesn't that sound really good? That sounds really good. Well, you know, it's just the sovereignty of God. And we've, we've, we've basically made that word to mean God is in control of everything, and there's nothing we can do or need to do. Now, that sounded pretty dangerous, didn't it? Y'all got very quiet just then. God is in control of everything. Is He? Well, if He is, He's doing a bad job at some things. Don't preach my sermon before I get there. No, but but we have, we've replaced that with the sovereignty of God. Instead of Believing God and belief being my responsibility, people have replaced that with everything is up to God's sovereignty. Right? Do you realize that the King James Virgin, Virgin, Virgin? By the way,
1: <laughs>
0: my son, when he was four years old, he came to Tammy one day and he said he looked at her and he said, "Mama, what is a virgin?" And she looked at him and she thought, "Now, Lord, you got to help me with this one. This is a hard question to answer." And so she began doing her very best to explain to him what a virgin was to his four-year-old mind. And he listened to her for a few minutes, and she said, Do you understand? He said, Yeah, Mama, but what's the King James virgin? (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the King James version of the Bible, the the word sovereign is never used. It never says sovereignty or sovereign in the King James Version. Now, in the New International Version, the, the, the word sovereign is used, but only in connection with the, with the word Lord. The New International Version addresses God and calls him sovereign Lord. In the King James, we find it where it says Lord God. It never says sovereign in King James, but the, the words Lord God in the Hebrew language are, are Adonai Yahweh, or Adonai Jehovah. The word Adonai means Lord, means ruler, master, controller. Now it doesn't mean sovereign in the sense of that that he does everything and there, that that nothing uh, can be done without him doing it. All right, religion has given us this invention for sovereign that means God controls everything and nothing can happen unless God wills for it to happen. That sounds pretty churchy to me. It it would be nice if that was the way it really was. However, here's here's the actual definition of the word sovereign from the dictionary. It means paramount or supreme. It means having supreme rank or power, independent as a sovereign state or excellent. It's assumed that because God is supreme, that he controls everything. And that's what people have thought, but the scripture doesn't say that. In fact, I remember one time having an insurance policy that insured my house for everything except for what it called acts of God. And they were referring to those being tornadoes or other natural disasters. But to assume that God does that, and so so people blame these things on the sovereignty of God. Now, here's the truth. God is not the problem. Mm-hmm. He's the answer to problems, and that's why we need to live by faith. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. He said, but I've come that they might have and enjoy life in abundance, to the full, till it overflows. The scripture says that, that God is the giver of all good gifts. We understand our Father is not the one who's causing the calamity. Our Father is the answer to the calamity. Mm-hmm. Let me just say something about the will of God. <clears throat> I'm saying this as a, prerequis- or as, as a precursor to talk about faith some more. The scripture says this in, second, in 1 Timothy 2.4. Speaking of God, it says, who will have all men to be saved. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. So what is the will of God? The will of God is that all men be saved. Here's the question. Are all men saved? Well, no, they're not. Okay, They're not saved because because it it is their choice whether to be saved or not. Okay, God... Is not going to force people to be saved. The scripture says in 2 Peter 3 9, it says the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's his will? That all repent. It's against his will for them to perish or to go to hell. Once again, his will is 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 not it's not that, that he can enforce it sovereignly on everything in every situation. The guy who burst into the church and killed all the people, it was his choice, not God's. Okay, okay That wasn't the sovereign will of God. Right? We must make a choice. When we speak about faith, this is what we understand. Faith is a choice that we make as we choose to believe the word of God. We must choose to believe it. It would be wonderful if it just came, and I didn't have to choose it. If we could just like get a Bible and sit on it, Mm -hmm. and it could osmos all the way through our beings, and we could have faith. Now, faith is a choice that we have to make. God is only in control of what I give to Him to control. If I offer it to Him, He can control it. Now, there are prophetic events that are going to occur. That no one anywhere can change. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our personal lives. When it comes to my life, I choose whether to believe or not. I choose that. Listen to this passage of scripture. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. read 14, 15, and 19. It says, but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. Now, when Paul quoted that verse, he called it the word of faith, which we preach. It says, the word is nigh, very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In verse 19 it says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Now who chooses? You. Mm-hmm. You is the understood subject. I choose whether I want to believe the word, is what he's saying. He says, the word is near me. It's in my mouth and it's in my heart. And I can choose life, good, and blessing by choosing to believe what the word says. I can choose death, cursing, and and, and all those negative things by choosing not to believe what the word of God says. So God is not in control of my free will. He will not choose for us. The word is nigh. We sing that song at church. When you're a teacher, sometimes it's hard to sing some of the songs. (laughs) Because some of the songs say stuff that it's hard for me to say it out loud. But we sing the song and it says there is no wall he won't kick down. There is one. He will never kick down the wall of your free will ever. That is up to you to open for him. Your, he will never violate that. We must never replace our responsibility to believe the Bible with the theology that says God is in control of everything. You're looking at me like, I hope you're right when Jesus got in the boat with the disciples and the storm came and they came back to him and they said Lord don't you care that we're going to die Jesus got up rebuked the wind looked at those guys and said it was my sovereign will (laughs) no he didn't say that he looked at them and said where Is your faith. He intended for those guys. To stop the storm. And all they could think about. Was that God didn't care. That they were going to die. I tell you. I think there are storms going on. And Christians have been duped into this idea. That God is in control. And if it be thy will. You'll get me out of this. Jesus prayed that prayer. He said. If it be thy will. He knew the will of God. Do you realize that? He was in the garden. He knew the will of God was for him to die on the cross. His flesh did not want to die on the cross. And so when he prayed that prayer, it wasn't a prayer wondering what the will of God was. It was a prayer of consecration saying, if this is your will, I don't want to do it. Nevertheless, your will be done. And that's the prayer he prayed. He wasn't saying, "Oh, sovereign God, control everything. No, no, Jesus knew the will of God. And he knew he had to die for the sins of man. So when we talk about faith, we have to understand that God's word is true. God is true to his word. Our job is to believe what he said. That's what we're supposed to do. So that takes me to the text we've been looking at. For several weeks now. From Romans chapter 3 verses 3 and 4. The apostle Paul said. For what if some did not believe. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect. He was asked. He said what happens if, if other people didn't believe. Or they tried to believe and it didn't seem to work for them. Does that mean that faith in God doesn't work. He gave a very clear answer. He said God Forbid. Mm-hmm. God forbid. The Amplified Bible says, by no means can that be true. He goes on to say, let God be true, but every man a liar. Just because faith didn't seem to work for somebody, doesn't mean faith doesn't work. Just because it seemed like that guy was trying to believe it, he died, doesn't mean faith does not work. Because here's what we know. God Cannot fail. His word cannot fail. If we understand what real faith is and understand how to believe Him and His word, it cannot fail. All right. So when it seems like it failed, here's the natural response: Well, that didn't work, so faith doesn't work. You know what most people do? I, you know what I knew a guy, and he was trying to believe God to be healed. He died. <laughs> Can I just tell you something? I've prayed for people before. And some of them have died. But does that mean we don't pray for somebody else? No. Have you ever heard of, of, of the great evangelist Vincent Itahosa? Anybody heard of him mm-hmm. before? Vincent Itahosa was called the miracle man of Nigeria. Mm-hmm. He was one of the greatest miracle evangelists ever walked on the planet. And when he was just a young man, the missionary was at his village teaching the young men about miracles and what to do and how to evangelize. They re- they, well, all they heard this one day was that they could lay their hands on the sick and they'd recover and they could raise the dead. And so Benson, Ida and his friends, they decided they were going to go raise somebody from the dead. So they got up the next morning, went to the closest village, and they, they, they asked somebody, is anybody dead here? They said, well, this guy just died over here. So they go over there, and they command him to live in Jesus' name. Nothing happened. They said, well, let's go find somebody else. So they went to like three or four different villages, and finally they got to one village. And they said, anybody dead here? They said, this guy just died. They went in his tent or shack or whatever it was. They commanded life to come back into his body, and the man came back to life. What would have happened had they not continued? What would have happened if they would have said, it doesn't work? Well, that last guy would still be dead. We need to understand just because it didn't work one time doesn't mean it's God's fault. It means maybe there's something I don't understand. Maybe there's something I need to work out. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm not there yet. Maybe I don't really have the revelation I think that I have. All right? Just because it didn't work for somebody else or even me doesn't mean that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. We've read this scripture the last several times. In 1 Peter 1, 5, 1 Timothy 1, 1.5, it says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Unfeigned, That means it's not fake. The real deal. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, Paul said, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So we've established over the weeks that there is an unfeigned faith. If there's an unfeigned faith, there must be a feigned one. If there's a real one, There must be a fake one. The scripture would not have talked about being real. So the devil wants to present a fake form of faith to Christians. He wants them to try a fake kind of faith so they will fail so that Christians will no longer try to believe God. The reason is, is the scripture says, tells us that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our Faith, mm-hmm. And the devil does not want you to get that one. And if he can get it, if he can get this in my mind. Well, you know what? Jimbo over there, he tried to believe and he died. So why try? And the devil wants you to believe that. So you won't even try. All right? We need to recognize that God wants us to win and he wants us to defeat the devil. So we've talked about some fake kinds of faith. We talked about imitation faith that the sons of Sceva tried. They tried to act like Moses, I mean, act like Paul in the name of Jesus when Paul preaches. And the devil said, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Literally, he says, but you, who are you? Okay, we talked about presumptuous faith. And this was we talked about this with the children of Israel when when the, the spies came back to the and they said they said, oh, it's the God's word is true. The land is filled with with bounty, but you can't have it because there are giants in the land. And then, you know, the Lord t- tells Moses, he said, you know what? I'm going to kill them all and start over with you. Moses intercedes for them. And then he t- the Lord says, all right, all right, I won't kill them all, but they're going to die in the wilderness, just like they said, and I'm going to let their kids have the land. And the next morning, a group of guys get up and say, you know what? We were wrong. We're sorry. We're gonna, we repent. We're going to go take the land. And Moses said, don't do it. God's not with you. But the Bible says they presumed to go. And they were defeated by the enemy because they presumed that something was the will of God. Last time, we talked about having a solid foundation for faith, and that is obedience to what God said. We talked about building our house, building ourselves on what is solid, and that's doing what he said. So tonight, and I don't know how far I'm going to get with this, the title of what I'm going to teach tonight is The Sights and Sounds of Faith. Faith looks like something, and it sounds like something. So let's look at that for just a couple of minutes. We read in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul said, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which, dealt, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Paul saw faith in Timothy's grandmother, saw faith in Timothy's mother, and by the, by the time you get to 2 Timothy, and there's a lot, of, a lot of history that goes with this, by the time you get to 2 Timothy, Nero is now the emperor of Rome. First Timothy, things are going good in Ephesus for Timothy. 2 Timothy, not so good. Nero is killing Christians. They've become the enemy of the state. Timothy is now beginning to have problems in the ministry. No longer in 2 Timothy are we talking about ordaining deacons and elders and all that fun stuff. Now we're talking about rough times and how to live in rough times and how to be a man or woman of faith. But Paul said, I saw. I saw faith in your grandmother. I saw it in your mom. And I saw it in you. And son, if you will stay with it, you're going to come out okay. He's talking about this real kind of faith. He's he's wanting to let Timothy know in this book that that faith is discernible. It's tenacious. It will never quit. And he's trying to tell him how it acts. Here's what I know. If I try it and I quit in the middle of it, there will never be a miracle. (laughs) But if I believe God, no one can talk me out of it. If I believe God, I'll stay with it no matter what happens. All right? So so we're not going to get the miracle. I remember one night when I was 18 years old, and I wasn't spirit filled yet. I was I would say a, a Baptist boy, but I really wasn't even very good at that. <laughs> I was really a North American heathen guy. <laughs> And I went to this meeting where Catherine Kuhlman was the preacher.
1: First time I ever laid my eyes
0: on more sheets. Oh, he fell down about three or four times in that meeting. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I remember outside the doors of the Lubbock Municipal Coliseum or the auditorium, I remember the look in people's faces while they were waiting for the doors to open. Mm-hmm. There was a look that I had never seen before. There were people who were getting ready to go in and they were going to be healed. And they knew it. And they were believing for it. And there was something that, I mean, you just cannot describe. I've seen it several times over the years where people have a look and they know that they know they know God is going to heal me now. And there's nothing you can say or do to ever talk them about it. It's faith. That is discernible. Listen to this passage of Scripture. This is Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, this passage has so many things you can preach this this one passage for a week or a month, just with all the wonderful things that are in it. But it says this, and again he, speaking of Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And Luke, it tells us the same story. It says he was preaching to the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. And it also says that, that the Lord was present to heal them. Mm-hmm. We don't have record of any one of those people getting healed. Now, it wasn't because it was a bad sermon. I'm going to promise you that. He was teaching the word to these people. There was no room to get in. And it says in verse 3, And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy. He was paralyzed, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh to him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, listen to this verse. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, Mm. he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus saw their faith. Their faith was visible. Think about these guys. I mean, you've all heard that story before. I mean, these guys come. Now, there's evidence that this particular house was Jesus' house. This is where he lived in Capernaum. It's his house. He comes home. He gets there. And he's teaching the word to all these religious people who got there early enough to get on the front row. And they're in the house. They can't get in the doors. I mean, everything is packed. And these four guys go to their friend's house, whom they apparently love very, very much. Now, they had heard something about Jesus. They had heard that Jesus was healing the sick. They had heard if you get into one of Jesus' meetings, you get healed. That's what they had been hearing, obviously, because they decided they're going to pick up their friend and take him to Jesus. Now, the friend had to agree, I'm sure. They said, buddy, we know. I'm going to tell you what, if we get you to Jesus, you're going to get healed. Do you want to do that? Yes, I want to do that. Get me to Jesus. So they grab the guy, they take him to Jesus, they get there, and they cannot get in. What would most charismatic Christians do? Well, brother, must not be God's will today. Right? We can't get, we've tried, we can't get in. I'm sorry, man, we, we, we've tried it, but bless the Lord, we'll take you back home, and maybe next time, when Jesus is in town. No, no, these four guys, and the guy in the bed, as far as we know, they these guys start looking around. How can we get in there? If we can just get you to Jesus, if we can just get through that crowd, and I can see them trying to get the the little gurney through and trying to get, they can't get, no, we're full, you can't come in. It's, It's full. And one guy, I can just see one guy going, hey, hey, there's nobody up there? Now, how in the world they got this guy from the ground to the top of that house, I don't know. I mean, they may have dropped him a time or two. I have no idea. But they had to strap him in, and somehow they hauled him to the top of that house. And so they have got to the first part. They got to the top of the house. Now they got to get in the house from the top. Now this is the teacher's house. This is his house. Are they going to make a good impression by tearing a hole in his roof? <laughs> but these guys don't care. Uh-huh. Because they know that if they get him to Jesus, he will be healed, Praise and God. they know it. And so they're just y- y'all got a knife or something? We got we got to dig through this, and they have to dig through the house. Can you just see Jesus teaching and getting the dust out of his hair? And finally, they dig a hole, a big hole. It has to be big because they got to get this guy through there. And they lowered this guy. And it says, Jesus saw their faith. Wow. He saw it. He that's such a wonderful scripture. I love this. I mean, they just, like I said, you can preach on this one passage for a long time. But Jesus, the, the people, he said, He said, they lowered Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven you. Oh, that made the Pharisees so mad. They said, "Who can forgive sins? But God alone." Mm-hmm. Today it's just the opposite, right? You go to get pray and you're healed. <laughs> Who do they think they are? Pray for you to be healed. See, now they think you can get your sins forgiven, church, not get healed. Mm-hmm. They said, "Who do you think you are?" And Jesus, would you love to have been there? Just so you'll know that the Son of Man has authority in the earth and can forgive sin get out of the bed and walk. Mm -hmm. And the guy got up and walked. But Jesus saw their faith. There was some kind of tenacity, some kind of something in them that wasn't going to give up. And I tell you, I've seen the look. And they weren't going to back down. They put action with what they believed. I mean, they were so committed to it. Real faith is visible with our actions. Man, that is such a powerful story. Listen to these verses because you've heard them before. In James chapter 2, the Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Now, when it says works here, it's not talking about works of the law. It's not talking about works of the flesh. He's talking about action. In fact, we could replace that with with doing something. He could say, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and yet does not do anything? That's what he could have said. Can faith save him? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, or even so, faith, if it doesn't do anything, is dead being alone. If faith doesn't do something, it's dead. He says, yea, a man say, thou hast faith, and I have works, or I do something. You might say you have faith, but I'm doing something. He says, he goes on to say, he says, show me your faith. In other words, let me see it. It can be seen. He says, show me your faith without doing anything, and I'll show you my faith by doing something. Mm-hmm. Faith can be seen. Faith does something. Mm-hmm. Down in verse 21 it says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by doing something? Now I realize I'm replacing the word works with the words doing something. Wasn't Abraham justified by doing something? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar? See how faith wrought with his works, what wrought with his doing something, And by doing something, was faith made perfect? Faith was made perfect because Abraham did something. He got the word from God that he didn't want to hear. You know, he'd been believing for that boy, finally had the boy. Twelve years later, God says, now Abraham, I want you to give him to me. I want you to offer him as a living sacrifice to me. And so Abraham did something. What did he do? He did what God told him to do, and his faith was made perfect. In verse 24 it says, You see how that by doing something, a man is justified, not by faith only. That's pretty good. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without doing something is dead also. Faith can be seen, can always be seen. I love it. He said, show me your faith, Mm -hmm. and I'll show you my faith by what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. My faith has action attached to it. Man, when he did it, his faith was made perfect. The word perfect means complete. His faith was made complete. So that makes this passage even mean more to me in Romans chapter 4, 16. It's talking about Abraham. It says, therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. In other words, if Abraham could do something, and that was the demonstration of his faith, so can I. Mm -hmm. It all comes to all of us the same way. The scripture says that the blessing of Abraham comes on the Gentiles through faith. We have the very same blessing he had. He's the example. Real faith can always be seen by what it does. If I really believe God, my actions will show it. I remember one time preaching something along these lines. I'm just going to warn you in advance. And after I got finished, I asked a lady, I said, how are you doing? As a preacher, that's not a good question to ask anybody. (laughs) I was young and I said, how are you doing? And she said, oh, pretty good. Under the circumstances. <laughs> and I was young and I was brash, and I, before I even thought about it, I said, Well, what are you doing under there? Faith is demonstrated by our actions. You know, it's like if you're going to catch Moby Dick because God told you to, you ought to buy some tartar sauce along the way. <laughs> Faith will do something. Always. It can be seen. It also can be heard. It can be heard. Listen to this verse. In Matthew chapter 17 verse 20. And Jesus said to them. Talking about to to his disciples. Because they were trying to cast out a devil. And they couldn't get it out. He says. If you have faith. As a grain of mustard seed. In other words, he said, if you've got just a tiny, tiny bit of faith, if you have just a little bit of faith, you will say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Faith can be seen, but faith can be heard. They couldn't figure out why they couldn't cast out this devil. Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. He said, if you had a tiny bit of Faith, you would say something. Have you ever read the gospel very much? Jesus talked to stuff. Talked to a tree. Talked to a storm. Talked to a fever. He talked to stuff all the time. He said, if you have just a tiny bit of faith, You will say. You will say. See, he told his disciples that they could speak and things will obey. Now, have you ever read Genesis chapter 1? When God spoke, things happened. His faith was heard. God said it, it became, and it was good. Jesus spoke to things. I mean, it's interesting. He spoke to things, and they apparently heard him and obeyed him. He spoke to things. I love it. When he went to the fig tree, it says, and he answered it. <laughs> so the fig tree was talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, "Huh?" uh Because the fig tree was saying, you get some figs here. And Jesus went over to it, and there were no figs. And the fig tree said, See there, you, you're coming apart, your coming part of your need can't be met today. And Jesus answered it. And he said, No man will eat figs from you hereafter forever. Mm. And it died immediately from the roots. Mm. He spoke to a tree. He said, If we had even a little bit of faith, we can speak to a mountain, and it will hear us and will obey what we say. Mm. That's something. Wow, you know these verses. Mark 11, 22 through 24. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Now, I can, we can break it down. It doesn't say in God, because that would be in theos in the in the Greek. But it says, theou, which means of God, or have God's faith. For verily I say, and by the way, all the faith is his. Well, it's his faith. It comes from his word. It's his. It says, Verily I say unto you, That whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have pretty much whatever he says. No, he says whatsoever he says. Therefore I say to you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. He told this on the heels of talking to that fig tree. He said that we could speak to this inanimate object, a mountain, and it would obey what we say. The key is not just talking. The key is believing what you say. If I believe what I say, if what I say agrees with what God says, we'll talk about that in just a second, then when I say it, it has to obey. Faith can be heard. The key is we have to believe it. Matthew twenty one twenty one says the same thing, but Jesus says this way. Jesus answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which was done to the fig tree, but also you shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. The key is not just speaking. It's believing what you say. True faith will always say something. You know, you always are talking about what's in your heart. Whatever your heart is full of, that's what you're going to talk about. Our words of faith contain power. Our words of doubt contain power. Words are very powerful. The scripture says this in 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul says, and talking to Timothy, he's going through the hard times too, he says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Now listen to this next phrase. Which are able... To make thee wise unto salvation through faith, Mm -hmm. which is in Jesus Christ. Notice what he said is able. The scripture is able. The scriptures have the word able here. The root of of that word its one word, another word. But the root of it is dunamis, which means miracle power. The scripture is miracle power. When it's in our mouth, because it's in our heart, it has power. It does what it's supposed to do. The Lord said in Isaiah chapter 57, 19, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace. Peace to him that is far off, to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will hear. I will heal him. The Lord, he wants to create what we say. We need to learn how to use our faith and let it be heard. I've got about, oh, four more scriptures here. Listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt for the tree is known by its fruit. Tree is a picture of life. So he's basically saying, make your life good and the fruit of it good or make your life rotten and the fruit of it rotten. You're known by the fruit you produce. Then he says an interesting thing. He says, oh, generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? He could say it the other way, how, talking, hey, you generation of saints, how can you, being good, speak evil things? Then he says the verse, part of the verse we've all heard before. Out of the abundance of the heart, mm-hmm. the mouth will speak. Mm-hmm. Whatever my heart is full of, my mouth will say. He goes on to say a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of the heart bringeth forth evil things. How does he bring it forth? With his mouth. He speaks it into existence. He calls it forth because out of the heart the mouth speaks. He says, but I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Idol is talking about profitless words, Mm. words that don't produce. When God talks, it always produces. Mm. He never wastes a word. I've said this before. If he was in the room tonight and he said, welcome to Thursday, guess what? It would be Thursday (laughs) because he would make it Thursday. (laughs) He doesn't waste his words. He says every profitless, this is interesting, every profitless word we give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now, this this is probably possibly talking about judgment, the judgment seat of Christ perhaps, but I believe it's talking about something in addition to that. When is the day of judgment? The day of judgment is when it produces the fruit. Mm -hmm. When those words produce. Have you ever heard a parent say to a child, oh, you'll wind up in prison one of these days. When's the day of judgment? (coughs) The day they get to prison. Well, we can never pay our bills. When's the day of judgment? The day you can't pay your bills. Well, you know, in our family, we're always sick. My mom says this all the time. You know, every year I just get the flu two or three times. (laughs) The day of judgment is the first time she gets it, the second time, and the third time. Well, see, I told you. She prophesied it into existence. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, whatever your heart is full of will come out of your mouth. It will be produced. Listen to this, he said, for by your words, you'll be justified, or by your words, you'll be condemned. Mm -hmm. The word justified means set free, Condemned means held in bondage. Whatever your heart is full of comes out of your mouth. Well, does this mean we can't talk about stuff? Well, it means there's some stuff you might not want to talk about. How about that? That scared me half to death. Well, what happens if you get scared again? <laughs> we we just we, we let these things have come out of our mouths. I mean he said if we had a little bit of faith we would say something. He said we would have whatever we say. If we really believe that, I think we might say some different things than we say. Mm -hmm. If I believe that, I'm never going to look in the mirror and say, Randy, you are so stupid. Number one, that doesn't agree with what God said. Number two, I don't want that to be what becomes in me. Mm -hmm. if we don't like what we have, we've got to change what we say. It, it just is what we have to have. The, the apostle says in 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith, same spirit of faith, faith has a spirit that can be heard. As it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. You faith is attached to words. It always has been and it always will be. Not just positive confession. I'm talking about words based on the revelatory word that is in my heart. And I hang on to that word. The devil, now the devil's legalistic. He's looking for a loophole and he'll try to use your words every time. You know, all, all the men in our family die before they're 60. Well, why would you say that out loud? Mm. How about, I'm breaking the curse today. Mm. See, so we need to learn how to speak. Mm. The Bible says this, Hebrews 3.1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the apostle And high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. The word profession is in other places is translated confession. It's saying Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Wow. Now what, what, what does that even mean? Here's what it's mean. Here's what it's talking about. The high priest daily offers the sacrifice. Jesus daily offers a sacrifice of our profession. As long as we understand what profession means. The Greek word is homo logeo. It means to say the same thing. Homo is same, logeo is word. It's referring to a person who's taken the words of another And has aligned himself with them to the degree that those words now become his own conviction. Become his own viewpoint. And he begins to speak them as his own. Homologeo is when I take the word of God. And I am so convinced by it, I make it my viewpoint. No matter what the circumstances say, I make it my conviction. And I speak it as if it's my word. Understanding it's God's, I didn't create it. It's, it's not just parenting something. It is being convicted and convinced of it and saying it. It's agreeing with God to the degree that I say it out loud. Praise God. Jesus, as the high priest, can take that offering of agreement to the Father. Mm-hmm. He does it on a daily basis. Now, if I'm offering some lame sacrifice and talking about how bad it is and thinking I'm helping God out in some way by complaining, he can't offer that before the Father because it becomes a lame sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But when he offers our words of agreement, when I agree with him, he offers it to the Father. Wow, the scripture, he said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. He, said, if you, he Here's how it says in plain English. If you will not say about me before men, I won't say before the Father and before the angels. But if you'll agree with me, I'm going to agree with the Father. Mm-hmm. And angelic help comes on your behalf Praise to Lord. produce that in your life. See, he's the mm-hmm. high priest of our profession. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. See this faith thing is about taking his word. Taking his word. And making that be my conviction. Making that be my confession. Well, but does that mean we can't talk about how bad the cowboys are? Well yeah we can still do that because that's pretty much real life. But there is a life beyond that. There is a confession of faith that needs to be made for me. Listen, God has done everything He will do because Jesus finished this work of redemption on the cross. Mm. My job is to agree with Him. And I fight this battle in the spirit. Remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood? And the scripture says that she, she, she heard about Jesus. Well, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. She heard about Jesus. She came in the press, and she said out loud, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Her faith was seen. Her faith was heard. And you know the story how she had to have gotten to the ground to get to the hem of this garment to grab hold of those tassels which by the way represent the word of God. And she grabbed hold of the word of God and Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? Hundreds of people were touching him. Surely some of them were sick. Surely some of them needed a miracle. But there's no indication that anybody in this crowd got a miracle except this one lady. She touched him, and Jesus said, who touched me? And they said, Jesus, everybody's touching you. He said, somebody really touched me. I love it. It says when she touched the hem of his garment, she immediately felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. She didn't feel anything until she said something. <clears throat> and until she did something. We all want to feel it. Then we can talk about it. <laughs> but she said it. She did it. And she got it. And Jesus said. Who did that? He finally saw her. Said she couldn't be hid. And Jesus looked at her. And she told him everything. That had happened. And I love what he said to her. He said. He said Daughter. My perfect will has made you whole. My sovereign plan. No, he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Mm -hmm. He didn't even plan on healing her that day. He didn't pray for her. He walked by. Mm -hmm. And she had that look. I already know it. (laughs) She was determined. She was going to touch him. Praise God. And don't you know those people were saying, there's not room. There's not room. She said, I will be whole. I will touch him. Man, that's faith that can be seen and faith that can be heard. I knew a lady. Her name was Mrs. Smith, but in our church she was called Granny Smith, not after the apples, but her name was just Granny Smith. She was ninety, I think, three years old at the time. I had baptized her the spring of the winter before that, and her family was furious because they thought she would die of pneumonia if I baptized her. But she said, no. Pastor Randy is going to baptize me It's going to be this Sunday Because I'm not waiting another day Mm. So I baptized her And about a year later A cancerous growth came upon her back So her family They're all planning the funeral And she said She said When Pastor Randy Puts his hand on my back And prays for me I will be healed Of cancer Mm. now here's the deal she didn't consult me about it she said it over and over and over again I came in her room she lifted up the back of her shirt and she said put your hand there and pray for me and when I did the cancer left I mean you can see the girl it left her body mm. not because I had faith faith because, you know, believers lay hands on the sick. Elders lay hands on people that pray for healing. I laid hands on her, and her faith Mm. is what God honored. You see, faith is Mm. this thing. In times of pressure, your mouth will reveal what's in your heart. Mm. Our faith needs to be seen. And it needs to be heard. Amen.